travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Stuck in the 80s, it's your old pal Spearsy. And Brad in LA. And today we get a lesson in Aussie music from the frontman of the Australian new wave band Real Life. It's our interview with David Sterry. Being stuck in the 80s, yeah, you don't want to could be stuck there for sure, but what a privilege it is to have that kind of uh, legacy as well. This episode of Stuck in the 80s is sponsored by... Cruise. Join your Stuck in the 80s hosts along with MTV VJs Mark Goodman, Alan Hunter, and downtown Julie Brown in spring 2024 for a week-long trip on board the Royal Caribbean Mariner of the Seas. Performers will include 38 Special, Air Supply, The English Beat, Soft Cell, Debbie Gibson, Sebastian Bach, Stephen Percy of Rat, Ray Parker Jr., Sheena Easton, Wang Chung, Midnight Star, Animotion, Real Life, Escape Club, When in Rome, Tommy Two-Tone, and more. Yes, as you probably know, you've been paying attention, the 2024 cruise is officially sold out. But you can still join the wait list. And as uh, our good friend from Dirty Rotten Scoundrel says, people drop out, you know. You should use that clip there if you want, or just delete that whole thing because it doesn't have anything to do with anything. <laughs> Go to www.the80scruise.com for more information. Chips Hotel. Hotels and oil from down under. <laughs> Do you still have any of those uh, situations available in Sydney? No, it's all gone, Paula. Never mind, Nikos. People drop out, don't they? <laughs> anyway, coming up to the house, we'll put a couple of shrimps on the barbie for you. <laughs> hey, gang. I'm really loving this week's uh, conversation with David Sterry. He is the founding member and lead vocalist of Real Life, the new wave band. You probably best remember them for songs such as Send Me an Angel and Catch Me, I'm Falling. He is playing the 80s cruise in the spring. And he's our special VIP trivia guest one day on the ship. Yeah, we get him uh, for trivia, and that's always fun. That's 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 90% of why I wanted to talk to him, because you like to develop that rapport. Have a little but bit of a connection, yeah. He is an incredible storyteller, but he boasts during this interview that he likes his chances as a contestant. I'll take questions for Melbourne bands for 200, Alex. Yep. Real Life was actually formed in Melbourne, and David still lives there today in a suburb, I believe. And hey, this is cool. We actually had some of our Australian listeners of the podcast send us questions to ask David, so he will answer those questions during the interview as well. You call it an interview, Steve, but it really is more of a patented Steve Spears 80s chat. I was going to say fireside chat, but I feel like that's been used. (laughs) And some of the questions that we got from the Australian listeners, he had great answers to. Mm, yeah. No, I, I do love this chat, if you want to call it that. And um, once you listen to this, I think, you really will not want to miss real life when he performs on the cruise or when the band comes through your area of the planet again because he's on tour quite a bit. He is a great storyteller. He has some fun stories about Midnight Oil. That's a really mm, good one. So good. So good. Uh, can't wait for him to be our trivia guest. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with David Sterry of Real Life. David Sterry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Very nice to be here. I, I got to tell you, after prepping for our conversation today, the song Catch Me, I'm Falling feels like it's on permanent repeat inside my head, and I'm loving it. Oh, really? Oh, that's kind of a bit of an earworm thing, isn't it? That's what they call an earworm. And and Catch Me is not one of my favorite songs. Oh, no. No. it's And, and in fact, I actually, after I played it uh, just a few weeks ago, I sort of said, do you want to know a secret? I was, we're headlining a gothic festival, strangely enough. And I said, they're all singing along. I said, do you want to know a secret? They went, yeah, yeah. And I said, I hate that song. 
It's a love-hate relationship. It's a very clever song, and it's well written, and it's it's everything is in the right place. But I just, for some reason, don't love it. I was talking to uh, Steve Kilby from the church last week, and I brought up "Unguarded Moment," and he's like, "Oh, I hate that song." Wow. Oh, that, I'm glad I'm not the only one. And and it's funny, you know, Steve's come right out of his shell in the last few years. You know, I don't know with you, but the cure, the the church were like very cool too cool to talk to anyone and uh they won they got inducted into the australian hall of fame like the rock and roll hall of fame over here and all of a sudden steve spoke and he was eloquent and funny and now he's just like this great character that you know i I was even too afraid to talk to him for like 30 years and now you know we it's hi hi steve hi dave you know it's great so uh yeah he they the church was on the 80s cruise back in march you're going to be on in 2024 is this going to be the most uh, unusual venue that you've performed at no because i did a cruise two weeks ago uh out of sydney and um it 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 was only like three days i'd never been on one so at least i got to know what it's like on the cruises what you know the 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 whole ship thing uh and yeah, it was good. It was it was it was three days. We just sailed out of Sydney. It's winter here in Australia, so it's been very cold. We sailed up the um, the east coast where it was nice and warm, and uh, played the show, and it was great. It was really good. What what surprised you about cruising that since it was your first time? Um, I don't know. I guess I had at my age. I grew up watching a lot of British films like Carry On movies carry on doctor and carry on cruising and this and i imagine it was going to be this like complete crazy thing and it sort of was on the on the ship but um i guess it's just i i love the ocean i love being near the ocean and the i think the the thing that surprised me most was i was the only person outside most of the time in that they were all in this casino in there there's bars in there so everyone's in there having a really good time but i was out just watching the ocean and it was all like i had this whole like deck all to myself and it was fantastic it was just well, beautiful it was cold so no 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 it was actually uh, we, we got up to about 26 degrees uh centigrade it was like so uh it was a beautiful sunny day and you know that's what i wasn't expecting was to get out i didn't know where they were going to go so it sailed out of sydney harbour and then it went up the coast which is to the warm part of australia which the florida of australia the uh, gold coast that's Queensland. that's uh yeah, uh, Steve Kilby said the same thing about it. <laughs> I was All like, right. "Okay, I've learned more about Australia in the last two weeks than than I have in my whole life." Ah, well, all you need is me and Steve. Speaking of learning, you're going to be our VIP guest for Big Eighties Trivia on the ship. Cool. How good do you think you're going to do if you were a contestant? Well, we have a couple of rock and roll trivia shows in Australia, and I'm pretty good. You know, I'm still one of these people that go, "I know that, I know that, I know that." You know, so um. Yeah, I'm good at that. And my other, uh, the, the funny thing is I was walking around in my local supermarket. I live in a lovely little suburb called North Melbourne, which is right on the edge of the city of Melbourne. And uh, I was walking around the supermarket and I was thinking, I know there's so many people that I know on the on the, the speaker system. There's yeah, there's music playing all the time. And I, I, I nearly know nearly everybody. I've got a story to tell nearly about nearly everybody on the radio. And that's so... Yeah, I know lots of stuff about the music business. I've been fascinated with it, you know, so I can't believe I'm a part of it. I'm very lucky. But, um, yeah, but I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, trivia. There was the, the very first 80s cruise went out. It was in 2016. And I was I, I host the trivia along with my co-host every year. But that first year we had no idea people would how good people would be at it. And I learned right after I asked a question about America's Cup in the year that we lost to Australia. Yep, yep. Nobody, nobody got the question right, and and people were angry with me afterwards that the, the trivia was too hard. And to this day, people bring up, you know, you had to ask about the America's Cup, you had to ask about Australia. Like, can't you do something easier? So, so uh, I'm, that was that was a very big big day in Australia, I, and I remember that so well because 
we were in Sydney at a recording studio called Rhinoceros making our first album, Heartland. And that was, you know, on the night we're up, you know, pretty much all night making the record. But that was on TV that night that we won. And our prime minister, whose name was Bob Hawke at the time, said um, he was sort of saying anyone who sacks anyone today for not going to work is a bastard. Any boss that sacks anyone is a bastard. (laughs) So that was a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Alan Bond, you know, he's not with us any longer. And uh, yeah, we beat the Yanks. Yeah. (laughs) And that was that was a that was a rough day of trivia, and it was a rough day of sailing for us, uh, for the, yeah. for the Americans that year. The the '80s cruise is loaded every year with bands who, you know, scored some of their biggest hits during that particular decade. Um, so, some artists chafe at the idea of being labeled an '80s act, but but there's still all these tours these days. Uh, you know, I guess what people call legacy tours. I, I'm just curious what your thoughts and opinions are on, you know, the label and the and the legacy tour concept. Well. Well, I guess it's mixed like every everybody else in that I still write and record music and it's just trying to find that balance where I still get to play um, uh, my latest material if it's good enough. You know, I wouldn't play anything that sort of wasn't good. But um, I've found a balance at the moment where um, I've been playing shows and we had a, brought out a new album called Sirens um, two years ago uh, and I've got a balance where I've got half of the first album, a few songs from the second album, um, uh, stump from the third album and half of the new album, and it just goes down very, very well. So, um, being stuck in the eighties, yeah, you don't want to kind of be stuck there for sure. But what a privilege it is to have that kind of uh, legacy as well. Uh, so, uh, my eighties songs have gotten me to, to play places like uh, the Greek Theatre a, a couple of years ago because I was on one of those big eighties tours with Wang Chung and Flock of Seagulls and things and. So I'm very grateful for that as well. It's just trying to find that balance where you go, hey, I'm still alive. I can still write songs. There's still things I want to write about. I'm still falling in love. I'm still getting a broken heart. You know, all that all that stuff. It's cool. I mean, I, I'm curious about the early days uh, for real life when you were getting started. And uh, I know, it was, I think I had read it was 1980 and you answered an ad in the local paper that was written by a yep. keyboard player looking for a guitar player. Yeah. What what bands were you listening to at that time? Who who were the the bands that inspired you know the the sound that we love so much today? Well, I guess it was the new wave thing at the time. You know, it was where punk had emerged into some music stuff. I've been reading a lot about that time at the moment. I've been reading a book by uh, a girl who was a guitar player for a band called The Slits, and she was hanging out with um you know Johnny Rotten before he was Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious before he was Sid Vicious, and and learning about those people that and the whole punk thing how it started developing. And what always surprises me is they were all fans of, you know, the Beatles and uh, the Rolling Stones and, and pop music in general. And then all of a sudden this other other stuff started coming out. And um, it surprises me to hear that they're all fans of prog music. Like I was a big Yes fan. I'm still a Yes fan. Uh, and the, re- the thing is that we'd, we were never going to be good enough to be able to play that kind of music. So something new had to kind of happen. There was also... Uh, a big development in music technology. We had synthesizers with cheaper drum machines, samplers, and that was exciting. There were new tools, new brushes to paint with. And I guess that was part of the thing as well. Uh, studios, there was uh, Porter Studios, four-track cassette players, um, and all that sort of had a big effect. So I was listening to uh, New Order and Georgia Moroder, um, uh, all The Cure, uh, Susie and the Banshees, all of those bands, mostly English bands at the time. Oh, Talking Heads from America, of course. Oh, yeah. But um, uh, Devo. Um, but it was a really um, exciting time. There was there was a transition, you know, in in technology and the way people started could make music without having a record label sometimes and just doing a do it yourself approach to a lot of things. So that was exciting. Made it a lot easier for for bums like me who weren't particularly talented. <laughs> I, you mentioned Heartland, which is such an amazing album, start to finish. I uh, curious did that did that come together as effortlessly as it sounds? I mean, how hard was it to make that first album? It was, it was really hard, actually. We uh, we didn't have an album worth of stuff when "Send Me an Angel" came out. Uh, it was fairly early nineteen eighty three in Australia, and um, we didn't really have like an album's worth of stuff, or, or what we we had no idea whether we had an album or not. And uh, it was quite late in the year that we started recording that, and we were in Sydney recording it. 
with uh, an English producer, Steve Hillage, who's an amazing guy, amazing musician himself, but he'd also produced um, some of the early Simple Minds music as well. You know, an amazing guy, Steve Hillage. Uh, and we weren't that we weren't confident in the studio. That was like a new a new thing for us. It was like, hey, okay, now we're not playing it together. Now we've got to do the the drums and the bass first, then the guitar, then the vocals. So it was a layering process. And um, I was also still writing uh, while the album was being made. And it was like, yeah, I was was a lot of pressure. It was a lot of pressure. Uh, but Steve Hillage was a great guy to have um, as steering us through all of that. So yeah, wasn't it wasn't easy. It was hard work. <laughs> the um the music videos uh, that I remember seeing on MTV back in the day, it, it always felt like like real life had a great eye for music videos. They were they were unique. They were imaginative. Was was that a an art form that you really embraced and you felt comfortable with? Did did you find that it was a a good tool? Uh, not so much. It was something you knew you had to do, though. Video was another new uh, revolution, evolution in the early 80s where, you know, MTV started and, and there was TV shows at home that were like that as well. So you had to have a video. And I guess the thing the thing was, and it was also pointed out when you did an interview, was um, did your video cost more than it cost to make the record? <laughs> so, and we got that a lot. You know, it's like, well, yeah, actually it did. I think our videos... Our video, I think our maximum budget was about $25,000, which was a lot of money at the time, but nothing now, of course. Um, and it, it, you had to find somebody. It was also the time of Mad Max in Australia as well. So there's a whole lot of um, new kind of stuff coming out with film. And so I guess we wanted to be sort of part of that thing. And I guess the Send Me an Angel video is is very much Beauty and the Beast. And it was made by a couple of guys called the Rich Kids. Their first ever video was Shivers by Nick Cave and the Birthday Party back in the day. So it was a very small scene. And these guys were doing stuff on 16 mil film. Um, and you kind of just wanted to be in the right kind of hands doing that stuff because we knew about mu- music and recording music, but we didn't know anything about uh, making films. So, yeah, it was a rough patch. And and you, you were competing against... Uh, the second video we made is a song called Open Hearted, which is from the first album. And we're in a, a sand dune area just outside of Sydney. It's a, like a sand mine, sand quarry thing. And uh, we on we were on we were set up on one sand dune and Duran Duran was set up on another sand dune. And uh, <laughs> our budget was about $20,000 and, and theirs would have been $100,000. And they were set up on the next sand dune from us. You know, they had a bigger budget and they were they, they looked better. <laughs> I, I don't think I know. I th- yes, I think your video looks just as good as that one. The um, I, I remember watching it the other day, and I was thinking, now this reminds me of, you know, when I when I when I when when you think when you're an American music fan and you think of Australian music and and Australian music videos, that that's what I think always springs to mind first, and uh, so that that one that one really kind of connected. Uh, did you did you get a chance in those days to to tour the U.S. much? Uh, we started well. 80, Eighty-four was our first tour, so um, I think we we I think we already had had Catch Me on Falling had already been in the charts as well. So Angel was in the charts in eighty-three, and and then Catch Me in eighty-four. And our first tour was opening for the Eurythmics. We did oh, thirty-two nice. shows opening for Eurythmics, um, and then we went through we went through Canada on our own, and then came down the. Uh, East Coast again with Berlin, so we did you know a whole lot of lots and lots of shows on our first tour. Yeah, it was a eye opening experience. I know, I know the 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 members of Berlin pretty well. They've I've probably interviewed them three times, four times. That they were doing the eighties cruise. I think they did the eighties cruise four times or five times in a row. So they wow. sort of became like the house band in a way. Well, the they're. They're about to be. They're opening here for. They're on the the Culture Club tour. I think yeah. they're here in a couple of weeks. So yeah, yeah. They were. They were just. They were just coming through Florida on, on that same tour. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see them. What were you? What was your feeling back then? Were, were Australian audiences different than uh, overseas audiences? Uh, Australian audiences were drunk and standing at the bar, <laughs> and you had to kind of get their attention somehow. And, uh, you know, with an American audience, they're, they're there for the music and they're very supportive straight up front. But Australian audiences, you had to win over. So I think a lot of us 
sort of thought if we can win an audience in Australia, we can play anywhere in the world because they're a tough audience. I'm always curious about the Australian sound. Um, and uh, we've been doing this podcast for 18 years and we, ha- we have a sizable listenership in Australia. And from time to time, they'll send me a, a CD with a bunch of music from the, from the 80s, generally knowing that that's what I'm interested in. And so I hear these really diverse sounds like um, the church, the crawl, uh, Hoodoo Gurus, uh, Ganga, is it Ganga Jang? Am I Ganga Jang, Ganga Jang, yeah. Midnight Oil, right. obviously. Um, when I when I listen to real life, um, particularly the the signature hits, mm. I, I I I I always I, I always feel like it it feels more. I always thought I was Brit. I always thought you were British, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> ah. a very feel to that. Uh huh. Um, you have just reminded me of a a Florida moment in my life. Um, <laughs> we all have in that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, a lo- uh, I guess it must be about. Um, 1980, it was probably about 1986, and we were on a bit of a tour over there. It was no, no, it must have been later because we were we were over there because Angel had become a hit again. Late and, 80s, um, yeah, 89. That's right, 89 Angel, yeah. So we were over on a short tour, and we we're in, we were in Miami, and uh, there was they were going to release a single, um, actually a remix of something, a song called "Let's Fall in Love" from our second album, which had never been a hit, but it was a great song, great, great song. And um, there was a vocal that was a bit of uh, not quite right on there. And and they said, well, David, you're in Miami. Uh, we've got a studio book. You can go and replace that. It was one line, really. And uh, I think the studio was called Black Cat Studio. And it was in Miami, I think. And it was owned by the Bee Gees. Oh, wow. And, yeah, so there's a little sort of Australian connection as well. So I was I – was, I, I don't like recording studios very much. I feel very um, inadequate. Your sort of your limitations, you know, as a singer, as a guitar player, as a songwriter, all exposed to you in a recording studio. So, so um, I was pretty tired. I think I was half asleep under the recording desk, and these two American guys who were in charge of getting this vocal right from me, I, I did it pretty quickly, and they, they're going, "Ah, David, you're Australian. That's unusual." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and. Um, they said, uh, okay, here's what we know about Australia. And they started listing a whole lot of Australian bands that, and some of them you wouldn't, you maybe not have heard of Big Pig, Hunters and Collectors, once again, the Hoodoo Gurus, uh, Midnight Oil. And they listed a whole lot of bands. And I was so surprised that these guys in Miami knew all of these Australian bands. And then they said, you know what? They said, none of you, none of you sound like an American band. And you all sound so different. And I was very amazed. I was very impressed by this analogy of of the history of Australian, you know, music according to um, Americans. Uh, and I was I was very I was quite proud and quite pleased with that 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 summing up. If we know all these bands, none of you sound alike. You all sound really, you don't sound like American bands, and you all sound very different. And I thought, well, that's a big big compliment. Uh- yeah, I, in fact, I have a question I'm going to ask you soon. Some of the Australian listeners of the podcast submitted questions for me to ask you, and and some of those will come back oh. and and hit on that. Um, the um, I want to ask you about "Send Me an Angel." Obviously, it's such an iconic hit. Uh, also, I don't think a lot of people remember it was on a lot. Of, it was on several movie soundtracks at the time. Lots, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember, I remember specifically uh, the one that always comes to mind is Teen Wolf Two. Which is a horrible movie. Horrible. I know. I know. I got a good story about that one if you want. Oh yeah, I definitely want to hear it. All right. Um, 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 um so that was must have been about 1987, I think, because I was over in living in in a little f- flat in Hollywood for a while there because I needed to be close to our record company and management because uh, there was no faxes in those. There wasn't even a fax machine back then. Uh, and they wouldn't talk to me on the phone, and I went, ah, I'm going to get over there and stay over there for a while and sort that out. And one day they rang me up and said, David, guess what? Um, we've got you um, tickets tonight to go to the, what is it? It's one of the theatres on Hollywood Boulevard. I forget the which Grumman's one Chinese Theatre? No, it wasn't. I wasn't that, sadly. It was another <laughs> one. But they said, look, um, there's a new movie uh, uh, premiering tonight, and you're in the soundtrack. And so I... Um, I rang up a girl that I knew and said, guess what? We're going to walk the red carpet tonight, you know? And uh, 
we got down there, walked the red carpet. No one knew who I was, thank God. And uh, we're sitting in the movie, and it's a crap movie. And uh, all of a sudden, there's this awful fight scene, and it goes, duh, 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 duh. and I hadn't told the girl while we were there. I didn't say, hey, we're going to, you know, I'm, our song's in the movie. And it's like, here, all of a sudden, there's fights in, and Sammy Ames comes on, and she kind of just looked at me and just went, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> But, it, you know, it's been in lots of movies and I even just uh, actually this time last year, I was on a little holiday and um, lo and behold, on Facebook, there's um, Brad Pitt on Jimmy Fallon show riding a bi- BMX bicycle to it because we're in BMX bandits too. And I don't know, I don't know what the connection was, but there's Brad Pitt riding his bike to my song. It's like, mm. It's strange, you know. It might be because it was in the that song was in the movie Rad. Yeah, it was in Rad, but he but was can't... promoting some new movie that had oh, nothing, okay. and he wasn't in Rad, and it had something to do yeah, with it. But yeah. so all these little things surprise me all the time, you know. That, it, you know. It, it's still, I mean, I mean, it's it's an infamous bomb, but people remember the montage scene in that song. I mean, when oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's, that's there are worse things in life. Uh, it, it's been covered by so many artists. Do you, do you have a yeah. favorite? Have a favorite among them? Yeah, yes, yes. Um, there there was an Australian TV show called um, Underbelly, and it, it 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 goes over several periods of time. It's about the criminal world, criminal life in Australia, and uh, there was a, a a series called Underbelly Razor, and. Uh, it's set in between the two world wars uh, in Sydney, and it's about these two women, one who ran an illegal drinking uh, place and another one who ran an illegal brothel, and they were rivals in Sydney. This is all true, absolutely true story, about the razor gangs who used to go around and just slash people's faces back at that time. It was the, it was the um, between the wars, there was all these men who'd come back from the horrors of World War One and were unemployable and they they turned to crime. Uh, and uh, it to, at the end of the show, um, the lady who ran the brothels opening a, a kind of a strip club in Sydney and um, she has a singer on who comes on and sings a 1920s, 30s version of Sambian Angel, which is just fantastic. Wow. So it was kind of – actually, the whole show, um, it's about, you know, half a dozen shows in the series. The whole show's music was all 80s songs done in that style of the 1920s or 30s, so that was pretty amazing. And this, the girl who sang it, a lady called Jessica Malboy, uh, did a beautiful, beautiful version of it. Um, I mentioned that we have uh, several listeners. I mean, not, I mean, several, I mean, probably several hundred listeners in Australia uh, over the, over the 18 years we've been doing the show. And hello everybody out there in Australia. <laughs> they always, they always give me grief when I mispronounce, pronounce a band's name. They they always ride me on a uh, Ganga Jang. So. Um, yeah, that's right. That's Ganga Jang. They're a great band. They've got some great, great songs, really good songs. I think the one they sent me was uh, called Sounds of Then or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great record. The yeah. um, so yeah, so they they as soon as they found out you were going to be you know on the podcast, they they had questions that they wanted me to ask you. Okay, sure. So I'll, I'll even use their names, uh, their first names anyway. So David in sure. Sydney, David in Sydney says, um, Australia's music scene in the eighties was split into new wave synth bands like Real Life and Kids in the Kitchen, yep. versus, versus the pub rock bands like Midnight yeah. Oil and Cold Chisel. Yeah. 
Yeah. Was there any rivalry between the two genres? Do you have any good stories about performing against a, alongside yeah. a rival act? Absolutely. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> um, so yeah, there, there, there was the, 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 the full on rock scene in Australia that was Midnight Oil and Cold Chisel. And, uh, we opened for them. We had to go and be their support band as well as, um, uh, Rose Tattoo. So I often found myself, you know, dressed in my little eighties costume, standing in front of a pile of bikers who wanted to kill me. You know, but the Midnight Oil, Oil one is a great one because we were um, sent out to this pub, a beer bar, we called them, that was in the western suburbs of Melbourne. It was called, um, what was it called? The, the Tarmac Hotel in Laverton, and it was very violent. And uh, we had to open for uh, the Oils. And, like, I was a big Oils fan. The 10 to 1 album just came out, and it was just a fantastic, fantastic record. So here we are. We get out on the stage. And people are just yelling, you know, F off. You know, they're screaming, get up, oils, oils. And there's a barricade, thank God. But um, I was a little bit cheeky back in the day. I was confident that, you know, they weren't actually going to kill me. But uh, I was sort of throwing it all back at them. Yeah, oils, schmoils, and, and playing, here's another song. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And we had a great time uh, opening for oils. And then went off stage, back into the back room, and their manager said, wow, no one's ever been that cheeky to an oils an oils crowd. You've got to go back on and do another forty five minute set, uh, and we had to go on again. And it's like, oh, they really wanted to kill us. <laughs> and then so, at the end of our set, I'm saying, by the way, we have a residency at Macy's Hotel in South Yarra on a Tuesday night. Come and see us. It's like, ah, get off, get off. <laughs> but lo and behold, the next uh, Tuesday night at that residency we had uh, at that hotel. There's a whole lot of those guys there, you know, and and I said to them after the show, I said, you you wanted to kill us. What was the thing? And they said, oh, look, you know, at an oils gig, you're supposed to really, you know, harass the support band, but we really liked you. And uh, and we heard we heard these girls go to see you because if you look at, at a midnight oil gig, there was just a sea of blokes, drunk blokes. And uh, at a real life gig, there's lots of beautiful 80s, women, you know, just uh, with the, the great haircuts and the makeup. And so those guys said, oh, we quite liked you, but we had to yell at you. <laughs> oh, my God. That's something else. Um, uh, Terry in Perth asks, uh, he says, Melbourne is uh, Australia's cultural center, especially when it comes to music. During COVID, Melbourne endured some of the harshest and lengthiest lockdowns in Australia. How did you fare during those days and how's the music scene these days? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Thank you from Mr. Terry, Terry in Perth. Yeah, um, it was. We had the longest lockdown. Uh, and strangely enough, I, I mean, I have a rather solitary life. I live by myself and I have for years and years and years. Uh, it was even difficult for me. But I, the great thing was we could buy coffee. That was the thing that kept Melbourne alive, I think, is that, that you could get coffee from the door. of There was people that stayed open, the market stayed open, and uh got some coffee and had to cancel a lot of shows i guess but um i it was tough for everybody you know so you know i, I was i was lucky enough to be sort of uh, pretty much okay with that but there's a uh, my my next door neighbor's marriage broke up there's all sorts of things going on you know that it stressed out people's relationships and um yeah it was tough bernie from sydney writes Bernie, Bernie's nickname is the Dutch oven. I, I'm not sure why, but he's been he's been emailing me for years. And he, I think that's something to do with flatulence, isn't yeah, it? It is. Dutch. Yeah, it's okay. It uh, it's, it sure is in America. <laughs> yeah, I didn't yeah. know if there's some sort of Australian ritual I'm not familiar with. No, um, Bernie, Bernie the Dutch oven from Sydney says, um, "I'd love to know anything about David's experience being on Countdown." He says, mm. uh, "Countdown was a Sunday night ritual for so many Aussies." Yeah, a weekly TV show that during the seventies and eighties, I think eighty three yep. and eighty four were the years that Real Life went on the show. Yeah, um, it certainly was. Count, Countdown was everyone watched Countdown, no matter what age you were. It was on at six o'clock on a Sunday, Sunday night, and uh, it just had all the new videos by everyone, and and you know even your parents watched. Everyone watched Countdown to see new songs, new videos, uh, and people being on being interviewed. But you also had to compare Countdown, be be compared the show uh and i remember doing it and going oh my god i didn't realize i'd ever have to be doing this i'm okay 
standing in front of a band, but I don't know whether I want to be a TV host. So it was quite traumatic, but um, they were great days. They were great fun. You sort of spent the whole afternoon preparing uh, to record Countdown and work out what you're going to say and who you had to announce. And uh, then they'd film at the time it, it, it came on, even though it was filmed on a Friday and came on on a Sunday at six o'clock, they would film it and they wouldn't stop. You had to get it right in one take. So was traumatic, but they did have a really good cafeteria, and most bands it was they had alcohol in the cafeteria, <laughs> so uh, most of us ended up a little bit plastered by the time we got on, whether you were hosting or performing. But it was a great show, you know. It's nothing like it anymore, sadly. Uh, well, thankfully, the uh, cafeterias on the '80s cruise will have alcohol too, so you'll. Oh, I'm not drinking until I get all my work is done. So, you know, I, I did that in, on the Sydney cruise just two weeks ago. I thought, no, 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 because half the people walking around the ship are drunk already. And I'm thinking, no, 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 I've got to sing. I've got to be good, got to sing, got to be good. So no drinking until then. So Yeah, I, I, I'm the same way. I don't I don't drink if I have an event I have to host. And uh, But, yeah, everybody else on the ship has a drink package, so they, they've been drinking since 9 in the morning. So oh. <laughs> you just hope trivia so- session's early. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh, and and my gigs, you know. So I hope oh, yeah, that really yeah. too. That yeah. could be something yeah. else. Hey, yeah. this is David. Really, I just you're such a great storyteller. I really appreciate your time today. I really looking forward to to next. Uh, I guess it's late February that we leave, and uh, yeah, out of out of Florida. It's only about an hour drive for me, but I suspect you got a little bit longer commute. Oh, over to I know. It's a, it's a long way. It's a long way. <laughs> But uh, really looking forward to, to, to meeting you in person for trivia. And I know everyone's going to really love your sets. So, uh, Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks for spending the time with us tonight. Thank you, Steve. I'm, I'm really hanging out through the cruise. And I uh, can't wait to sort of meet everybody on the cruise and have some fun. There you go, David Sterry of real life. Oh, the midnight oil story does not fail to d- deliver. <laughs> that's just that's fantastic. I love getting this history of Australian music through Australian musicians themselves. Well, yeah, his com- his comment about the church was amazing too. It's just like, oh my gosh, this is so great. When I prep for these interviews, obviously, I I watch a lot of videos. I watch a lot of interviews. I, I really listen to a lot of music. Heartland is an amazing album. Yeah. Uh, from back in 83, it does not have a bad song on it. If you are looking for like a, a great example of new wave music from the first half of the 80s, Heartland from Real Life is just a no-brainer. You know what else is a no-brainer, Steve? Oh, I knew you were going to do that. The, the Seggies. Prepare to qualify. Hey, it must be time for Stuck in the Arcade. We will play a snippet of an arcade game from the 80s. Why does that not sound right? Just It just sounds wrong, like I'm just mixing mustard and peanut butter. <laughs> Take it back, please. Arcade arcade clip of the 80s. A clip? But we will, well, oh, because it sounds like you're saying, I'm going to play a game, and then you say, I'm going to play a clip of a game. Like, how do you play a clip yeah, of no. a game? No, you're right. That's it's just I just it's feel your, all wrong. So here, let's let's try this. For shame. Let's try this. Hey guys, this is our segment called Stuck in the Arcade. We're gonna play an audio clip from an arcade favorite from our favorite decade. Oh god, that's so much better. I used favorite too many times, but we can, you know, we'll work on that. We'll workshop that. Yeah. Anyway, from episode six seventy nine, here was the clip. That's Tron. Uh, specifically the tank scene. You know, I really thought we'd get a ton of winners for this. Well, I will say the people that we did have write in almost to a person identified specifically that's from the tank scene. I'm like, good for you. Everyone gets a gold star this week. Not everyone gets a bottle opener, but everyone gets a gold star. Apparently there's a, a cheapo version of the Tron arcade game. From the, I think it's from One Up. Is that what it's called? That one brand. Oh yeah, yeah. The like three quarter scale. Yeah, I heard that there was one out there. Really? I I don't need to know that right now. I I love that people are telling me 
but I have I have no income. <laughs> so it's like the internet gonna, tells me that there is one available. Yeah. Oh my god! I and want one so bad. It's uh, it's small. SML. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was my favorite <gasps> arcade game. That and Zaxxon growing wait, up. It, so. Wait. Oh my gosh! I think I might need one of these. It has Tron and discs of Tron on it. Oh, stop. Okay, that's what it says I've... right here at the website. Oh, how oh much... okay. Here, here's how we do. Here's how we do. I did this once with a, with a friend. Although to be fair, it was with Blu-ray discs of movies we both already owned. I'll get you one for Christmas, and you get me one for Christmas. Oh, <laughs> oh it was a gift. <laughs> that's actually that, that might work out. That's Don't, a re- just... retail seven hundred dollars. Katie doesn't listen to the show, so I could totally get seven hundred dollars. I love you. I really do. Seven hundred dollars. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, if if the, if the Google ads pay off on sit80s.com, maybe yeah. I can I can raise the funds. Yeah, we're gonna need to please click on some of those ads for us, okay? Yeah. <gasps> click on some VistaPrint ads. Anyway, oh no, my gosh. oh my god, that sounds amazing. Anyway, it's probably who knows. I haven't put my hands on one, but it's kind of a cool <laughs> idea. Uh, yeah, we, so we have some winners. We did mention that uh, back on the back on track here. Let me read these winners, Steve, and then we can go back to talking about arcade games and schemes to buy each other things that our spouses be like, why did you buy that for yourself? Winners this week include <laughs> Dan in Omaha, Chad in NorCal, Chip SEM in Miami, Mike Z, Brian in San Francisco, Jeremy who shot J.R. Rodwan, Tom Corn in Austria, Fetch in Evansville, and Chuck the Whiskey Moose, who points out Tron stands for Trace On. Who knew that? My hand is up. Brad knew that. Do not be surprised by this fun fact. Yeah, no, it's a basic. No, I, it's a basic command. So right. you know, in the eighties when we had our computers, kids, that was the programming language that was on it. Sorry, here ends. I just talked lesson. to. I just. I just talked to Jeremy Rodwin tonight. Actually, oh yeah, we were. We had a Zoom call. We were talking about his Oingo Boingo set list. So, mm, I do have some thoughts. Is it already gone to print? No. Well, okay. by the time you listen to this podcast, maybe. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe we talk about it after we're done recording. Yeah, we'll do. To, yeah, definitely do that. Uh, I guess spin the wheel is the next step, right? Yep. That's how we do it around here. It's all about patterns. Here we go. A one, a two, a one, two. Raw. Cool. Nice. You don't really need to spin it that hard. There's only ten names on there. All male, by the way. Shocking. To no one's surprise. That's shocking. It looks like it's going to land on Chuck the Whiskey Moose. God, I would love for us to have some whiskey right now. <laughs> he says, it's, that was an internal dialogue. I didn't really mean to share it. How do I tell them I have no internal dialogue? Uh, anyway, Chuck, send us your postal address. We'll get something out to you soon. In the meantime, male listeners, pay attention. No, it, 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 that's, not, that's not fair. It could be, it could be anything. Uh, here's this week's Mystery Arcade audio sound. <laughs> If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com and tune in in a few weeks to find out if you're a winner. We'll be right back after this commercial break. From the outside of peaceful country town, but behind the walls. How do you feel as they're all assigned? It is the tragedy of small towns. You come here to escape, and there is no escape. It wouldn't have good food if I shoved it down your upper your bone throat. I'd die if anything happened to you. Australia's favorite drama is back for 85 with all your favorite characters. You're happy here, aren't you? There's nothing like a new car to make a man feel... Right, yeah. Back in its fourth great year and more popular than ever, A Country Practice returns to 7 this Tuesday night, 7.30. Hey, we're back. We've got a few minutes left. Time to play the little game we call... Please, please tell me now. Hey, we ask you to send us questions, and occasionally you do. This one's a good one. And sometimes we answer them. Uh, Brad, because he did not screw up the last segi, gets to read this one as well. Oh, here we go. I love it when I earn extra privileges here on the podcast. This This is from Mailman Jeff in Jacksonville. My good friend Mailman Jeff, I think he and I have connected over our fondness for Mr. Zip. Uh, But... I digress. Mailman Jeff writes, Hi, Brad and Steve. One of the things that has fascinated me about our favorite decade is the notion of one-hit wonders. I know there were one-hit wonders in the 60s and 70s, but I don't believe that they really entered the public consciousness until the 80s. 
My theory is that music videos gave the one-hit artists more exposure than just if they had to rely on radio play by itself or Casey Kasem telling you how they grew up in a, you know, some wherever, blah, 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 blah. Uh, especially if that video is catchy and or groundbreaking. Discounting a few artists who are able to move beyond their one-hit wonder status, such as Devo, Simple Minds, and Frankie Goes to Hollywood. <clears throat> I got lots of problems with that list, Mailman Jeff. It's amazing. I just read that to you. Lots of problems. Brad and Steve, please, please tell me now. Which bands or artists do you believe deserved a better fate than being labeled a one-hit wonder? Devo, Simple Minds, and Frankie Goes to Hollywood are not... One hit you're just, wonders. You're just trying to piss us off, aren't you? <laughs> and it's working. <clears throat> oh, Simple Minds. How <sighs> dare you? I mean, of the three on that list, I, you know, I'm going to pick Simple Minds to defend right now just because the other two are, they, they don't need me. Their, their record stands alone. Simple, Simple Minds, if you went to a Simple Minds concert, they wouldn't play a song you wouldn't know. Yeah, the only song you wouldn't sing along the words to would be uh, songs for new cities or whatever the instrumental is that they do. Yeah. No, geez. Those, take that rah. back. You take it rah. back. That's it. I'm sending Mr. Sip over to your house to take back your shoulder bag. <laughs> uh, I got thoughts. Do you have thoughts? Yeah, I have some thoughts. And Good. this is colored a little bit by uh, the recent, it's not that recent, that's probably five years ago, uh, acoustic album that they put out. But mm. I'm going to pander to one of our early enemy groups here at Stuck in the 80s before I join the show. I'm talking, yes, I'm talking about the Ahafia. I think Aha got unfairly labeled as a one-hit wonder. Yes. And I think it, it actually fits your model that the music video was so much a mm. big part of their popularity and people's exposure to them. Their Bond theme is completely underrated. It's such a good song. Oh, God, yeah. It's, it's uh, top, top three Bond themes. Yeah. Sun Always Shines on TV. Oh, it's, it's, it's just an amazing piece of work. And hearing mm. them play acoustic where you really can't hide as much, like, let's face it, you just can't. There's no, not as much trickery going on there. That album that came out, I again, I'm not sure exactly when it came out, four or five years ago now. It's so good. We listen to it all the time. And he can still get to the notes. He's the, it sounds, the, his voice is as strong as ever. He's taking good care of himself. I, I love the acoustic album because I can finally understand the lyrics to take on me. And you realize, oh my God, it's a really deep song. Oh, it's <laughs> no better to be safe than sorry. The thing that I think of every time I hear that line, and I may have told this story before, do you remember there was an era when the internet was kind of new and like you couldn't just look up all the song lyrics online? Yes. Yeah, of course. And we had this, my, like two or three of my coworkers, we had this quiz someone had sent us like a mimeographed copy of, and it was <laughs> like a hundred song lyrics. And, you know, we got, you know, 80 of them first pass. And then there are 20 that we just could not figure out. Mm. And one day, and one of them was, it's no better to be safe than sorry. And I'm like, I don't know what, I, I don't know what that is. And one day I heard it on the radio and that line jumped out at me. I'm like, oh my gosh, like pull the car over, <laughs> write it down. <laughs> I will never forget that. Every time I hear that song, I think about that, that yeah. line. No, no, that's, that's the takeaway. You know, from that song. Yeah. And yeah. No, no. God, just put it out there, man. Mm. Take your shot. Shoot your shot, Steve. Shoot your shot. Uh, okay, I'm gonna shoot my shot. <laughs> Sounds wrong, but um, I think the Buggles are an interesting story. Mm. Uh, Trevor Trevor Horn, Jeff Downs. There, are, I mean, obviously, Video Killed the Radio Star was just a behemoth, and I think the problem here is that song is so damn important. For so many reasons. Yeah. It's hard that, for anything to get out of its shadow. Right. You, it casts a huge shadow. But um, they had a couple of other singles off that first album, which was called The Age of Plastic. One was Living in the Plastic Age, and the other one, one, one was, I think was called Clean Clean. They both charted in the UK, I believe, and probably some other countries. They had a second album, too, but Jeff Downs, I think I read he had quit the band Literally, like the day of or the day before. Oh my gosh! Because he was joining Asia. Sure, but the I, disco I, heart pulse held no charm for him any longer. <laughs> I think there's a whole episode to be told 
about the Buggles. And I, you know, we had Trevor Horn on the eighties cruise a couple years ago. Yeah. Ooh, and, that was, ugh, that was so good. We, I should have pursued that stronger. I should have, I should have gotten him on the show. I will tell you, there were a couple times when I was in his, you know, within 10 or 15 feet of him. And I was so starstruck. I could yeah, not bring no. myself to say even hello uh, to him. I was just like, on like that's trevor horn you guys i know know. believe it he he was at the table next to us at the very first lunch and i'm just sitting there going oh my god it's trevor Horn!" it's like when you see like don't lose your shit man it's like when you see ghosts in your dream and you're like i'm trying to scream but i can't because i have no breath It, it was just that's what it's like to be around trevor horn yeah, and just like I mean, he he seemed approachable. It wasn't like he was putting up this "don't come talk to me" vibe. But I, I know just, I, I couldn't do it. No, I, I'm no, I I'm couldn't not blaming do it. you. No, I'm right there with you. I couldn't speak to him. No, I, maybe I'll try to reach out and just see. Like, <laughs> I don't know how even. Hey, buddy. Sorry, I I'm a, I'm a complete <laughs> and I didn't approach you when I was completely within my realm to do so and here here's here's how you do it here here's your entry no way to do I was it. just so entranced by your version of owner of a lonely heart when you performed that Duh. with Dire Straits Legacy which I like that's one of those things like I didn't know I'd been waiting my whole life to hear that it was amazing it's a no, little, totally different take on it but I think you know flatter him with that and you know then we'll yes. we'll bring him into the tent and then we'll beat him up I think, by the way, our answer is completely unworthy of that crazy question that Jeff asked us. I mean, you dare throw Devo Simple Minds and Frankie Goes to Hollywood in our face? What pros are we to come back with such a great answer? Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, no new gold dream, no alive and kicking, no somewhere, some, someone somewhere, no great advice, no promise you a miracle, don't you forget about me. Uh, all the things she said, sanctify yourself, see the lights. Uh, she's yes. a river. Eh, that's maybe not quite as Belfast well-known. Child. For one, oh, go, Belfast Child, produced by Trevor Horn. I might yes. add, it all comes around one big circle. Steve needs another drink. I could use a drink. Let's go get a drink, Steve. Let's go get a Let's drink. Wrap this up. <laughs> hey, we hope you enjoyed uh, our interview with David Sterry. I I know he would enjoy that crazy ending that we just gave him. Definitely check them out. Check mm-hmm. out Heartland, buy the album, rediscover the music, and then come and see him on the 80s cruise. But until then, uh, Brad and I, and not Mailman Jeff, remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And thanks for listening. <laughs>